Hello and welcome to Jenny and Paul Sell Out, the podcast where culture matters and selling out does. And my name is Paul Reesmandel, and of course joining me is Jenny Benevento. Hello. And also all the way from Chicago, Illinois, we have a special guest, Jay Eichner. Howdy. And uh, for this special episode here, we're doing our very first metal makeover. And so Jay is here for us to try and bring him over to that particular dark side. Jenny, can you explain a little bit about uh, what a metal makeover is? Sure. In episode seven, we offered this, uh, and we didn't talk about it since. So um, <laughs> we're opening it up for other people now that we've done Jay. Um, basically, uh, there's a lot of people who have always tried to get into metal and just have never found the right thing, or you know, maybe much like Jay, as you'll find out, have heard a lot of death metal voice, and that that did not make them interested in metal. Or maybe you think you're an impossible case, and you'll never love metal because uh, you're grasping at that. Dolly Parton or something. Um, I think we can find metal that everyone would sort of like. Um, so if you're looking for a way to get into metal, we would love to metal make you over. Very good. So uh, perhaps, Jay, you can explain uh, why this sounded like a good idea to you. Well, partly it was a lark, but... Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, I spent a lot of time... Don't you, music. don't you mean it's a lark's tongue and aspic? No, I actually finally figured out what lark's tongue and aspic is. Aspic I, I believe is we were like, together. Were we talking about that? Yes, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, tell anyway, us. Explain uh, it then. Aspic is, uh, it's, it's like jello, right? But it's not it's a sweetened fish. or flavored. Yeah, it's like a fish-derived jello usually, or like a bone broth-derived jello. Like in, inherently in animal bones, there is collagen so you basically make like a plain jello with meat cast-offs it's not good it's something that you might find in the 50s it also sounds very it sounds very english to me and i don't i don't have any justification for saying that but it sounds like a very english food sounds terrible so but anyway if you put lark song in aspic well you have lark song in aspic King's Crimson album. Um, anyway, so I have uh, I have a longing, sort of sorted history with exploring music, and I have a I have found myself for a very long time in very very niche areas of music. Um, started out a long time ago, really getting into industrial music, which has natural crossovers with with metal, and that's where I found a love for Godflesh and Justin Broderick uh, back middle 90s, late 90s. Um, but my interest in industrial kind of transitioned through bands like Skinny Puppy and Throbbing Gristle more into noise and sort of extreme electronics. And from there, kind of transitioning into a lot more uh, of the avant-garde, lots of drone music, music concrete, tape music, um, Electroacoustic improv, things of that sort, that uh, are very much a giant hole that you can immerse yourself in as completely as you want, for as long as you want, and always find new music and always find new things. But it can very easily become its own stew pot. <laughs> There's nowhere else that you go. <laughs> um, so, kind of recognizing that I've had these these sort of circumferences that include metal in some places. You know, Godflesh was that sort of metal industrial crossover area that I latched onto a little bit. And, um, you know, as, as we were exploring here together this past week, you know, realizing that um, House of Low Culture is another one of these sort of crossover areas where the avant-garde meets metal. Um, realizing I've never actually explored those paths. So I looked at this as an opportunity to start doing some of that exploration. Well, yeah, and I mean, even in giving you some recommendations and talking to Paul right before this, there's a lot of things where it's like, well, that isn't actually metal. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, the band says they're a black metal band, and, you know, they have these three guys from a metal band. So, But, I, but totally, they're not making metal. So, I mean, I do think it is funny that, I mean, another reason that, that makes it, I guess, easier for us in this situation is that there's a lot of 
other types of music where that is true, where it's like five metal guys do a thing, but it's not metal at all. <laughs> so um, I, I'm, I think like we can definitely get into a lot of areas of like, well, is this or is this not metal in these bands? So, And it's, it's actually quite interesting to me because part of what sent me off onto kind of dark ambient noise music was running into a project that Justin Broderick did called Final which was guitar experimentation, guitar ambient. And so I was listening to that the same time I started listening to Godflesh, uh, so probably 98, let's say. Um, and I probably picked up my first Godflesh album in 94, 95. Um, and so it's, it's funny for me to think of stepping specifically from Godflesh as a metal band and having that be sort of my gateway into experimental music in a way. Well, and it's funny because one of the first things I recommended to you was uh, Jesu, which is also a Justin yeah, Broderick Justin band. Broderick, yeah. yeah, and it's, um, I mean, if you look at it even on Wikipedia, it's the genres are post-metal, drone metal, shoegazing, experimental, ambient, electronica. That's like eight, <laughs> like, which one, you know? Right, right. So, so I, I do think there's, I mean, I think it's funny because, I mean, post-metal to me means, means nothing because it means so many things. And I feel like, um, the idea to, to a lot of people that something could be metal and shoegaze is, like, completely confusing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's a little what is and what isn't. Well, metal is very absorptive. Uh, you know, having been sort of a marginal music for a very long time, many of its practitioners, I think, were also even marginal to the metal community. And so, there, I mean, certainly there are folks in the metal community who are very orthodox, right? Slayer... Iron Maiden, Metallica, bands that most people have heard of or know, you know, to them that's metal and everything else is some some weird dicking around. But then you had a lot of the avant-garde, as we might call the metal, were actually just bands that were in places where there weren't other metal bands. I think there's a band called Celtic Frost from Switzerland. And they were in this small they grew up in a small town in Switzerland where there weren't other bands. And so while they were getting, you know, influences by what they could tape trade or maybe, you know, hear on a radio or buy records of, they're also sort of just hashing out their own kind of thing and adding, you know, one of the first uh, bands to add like sort of an operatic female vocal or non, you know, guitar, bass, drum instrument instruments and things like that. And I think that then you saw avant-garde artists like John Zorn, uh, who did who cut two out two albums with Justin Broderick at Godflesh, and known as Painkiller, and John Zorn being a saxophonist and composer. Uh, you know, started also. Uh, you know, they, they started working together. So you saw avant-garde composers and musicians from more of the jazz or new music tradition picking up metal as well. You know, and you saw this kind of crossover happen a lot in the 80s and 90s. Well, and a lot of, uh, I mean, just in recommending things, a lot of people who uh, are experimental musicians have done like one metal album. <laughs> and does that count? I don't know. You know what I mean? It's hard to say. So um, in general, though, what uh, we, we, I sent you like a little, a little questionnaire to, tell, to figure out what you liked and disliked, <laughs> like extremely. Uh, could you summarize a bit? And I have it up in case you don't remember. <laughs> um. Well, yeah, like I, I death metal I, voice. That's key. Yeah, it's um, terrible. <laughs> it, it's sort of the worst possible thing. Um, I I think of it the same way I think of uh, punk bands adopting this sort of fake English accent in their singing, and that it's like sort of like a genre mandated thing you have to do in order to be punk or to be metal. It strikes you um, as fake, no matter who yeah, uses yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also just terribly annoying. You know, <laughs> beyond that, it feels like it's this, it's just this fake, slap it on, call it metal, there it is. Well, and that was a hard one to get around, I feel like, because a lot of bands who do experimental music in metal definitely have a death metal voice, and that's sort of what cl classifies it as metal. So right, that was a hard one to get around for us, I think. And it's also, it was difficult because what you have thought of as death metal voice was maybe more defined or specific than what I was thinking of as death metal voice. Definitely. Uh, yeah, the affectation is probably what we're thinking of. 
Which, of course, grew out of guys who just really couldn't sing and were screaming. <laughs> well, and not all screaming to me is death metal voice, but sure. I totally get what when you were like this. I mean, there were lots of vocals you didn't like, which I also didn't like, but I wouldn't have considered death metal voice, you know. Um to be fair, I hate I hate death metal voice, so I'm with you on that. But um, <laughs> but then there's another thing, like you said, you liked clarinet, or like I in general, the other thing I really, I mean, I knew this, but it came up a lot was anything that has a wind instrument usually is elf music. <laughs> <laughs> like there's certain things that seems like it goes together in metal that it's like if it has a lot of weird droniness, it's probably going to have a death metal voice, and if it has woodwinds, it's probably going to have elves. <laughs> Right, right, yeah. The uh, there, there are definitely some some styles of metal that I, I can definitely say, like out front, I just not into. Uh, like Paul, you were talking earlier about sort of traditionalist metal, right? Iron Maiden, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, Metallica, just don't give a shit. Um, but also this like really symphonic, epic kind of operatic falsetto singing sort of metal, like that has no interest for me. Um, but what bands do you like? Because we haven't actually covered that. Oh, well, I mean, like, in terms of things, of thinking about the sort of, um, you know, imagining what sort of realm of, of emotional state I would want a metal band to put me in, um, I think of music that is stark and grim and um, sort of puts me in a, in, a, in a narrow focus of attention on something. I, I imagine my face kind of scrunching up and, like, staring... <laughs> mercilessly at something, right? Um, so you look like a Cabbage Patch Kid. <laughs> you want to have Danzig face, is what you're saying. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, yeah. I think this was the thing that was hardest for me, and I think a little bit for Paul, is when asking you what kind of music you like, you talk about the emotional state you have while listening to it. <laughs> Which is fine, but it's just Which makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I no, mean, it's completely different well, than because that. Why yeah. it's, it's, a, it's very idiosyncratic. It's not like you said, well, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm, I like, uh, you know, something in a nice minor key. Um, <laughs> right. Like, when, if I were going to describe music I like, I'm like, well, I like uh, virtuosic solos. I enjoy. I do enjoy a verse, chorus, verse, which you definitely do not, which is fine. But, like, I think structures of the music or even instruments is how most people would describe what they like. And you were like, I like this emotional state. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, um, so kind of getting back on on kind of the track of this, um, the band that I think of the most is Swans. Uh, this is a band that Michael Girard has had since the early 80s. It took like a 10-year hiatus from the late 90s until uh, maybe five years ago um, and has been picked up again with, with a couple of new members and is, for a guy who's about to turn 60 years old, is some of the most like stark, angry music that I can think of. Um, in part because it's not... It's not about having everything be loud and distorted and blown out and crushing. It's about this sort of gradual rise in intensity until you kind of realize that the whole band is on stage just like punishing themselves to get the sound out. And it tends to be this very plodding, droney, building, pumping sort of music that's big kettle drums and... Uh, there's a lap steel, and uh, occasionally one of the percussionists is playing xylophone, but it's this density of sound, this strong, uh, colorful palette of instruments that's all together in this grinding swell. This just sort of gives you that like half, half uh, headbang, right? You're not doing the whole like back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> You're just sort of. It's the, it's the strong nod, right? It's the nod. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we listen to a quick excerpt uh, here, just so people can get an idea of what what that sounds like. Here's a track that you sent me uh, called "Your Property." Well, thank you very much. So it's definitely not crushing on start. No, and this actually, this one might not actually really start crushing until about 
eight minutes in. Nine minutes in. Yeah, you got to wait nine minutes into all these songs. Well, there you get a little sense of it there. That gives people just a little little sense of it. A band I like, yeah. the Swans, as well, quite a bit. So, one of the things that I find great about this is that there there is no chorus, right? It just kind of keeps going and building up, and it might take a shift, but it's a total change in direction in the song. And any sort of melodic shifts tend to be um, like a crest here. A crest there. Um, you heard in that piece is where the texture is like it's just a spot where it breaks and doesn't change the pattern of the song at all. Um, and so that's where I get this like this notion of the drone, right? Where you're you're stuck in this thing and it carries you along. All well, right. and that was a thing that I think I I would like to point out that was interesting and new to me. The idea that like um, or not new, but um, when you when people generally say they hate first chorus, first songs, I think, oh, repetitive things, not repetitive things in general, but um, that to me kind of cancels out even songs that have those motifs that go over and over and over again. And so that was like a hard part, not a hard part, but something that we had to sort of talk about where I was like, wait, do you like no motifs at all? And in fact, when I did suggest a few um, bands that sort of have that, no motifs at all thing, you were like, this isn't going anywhere. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, well that makes sense now, now that we've had that discussion. Um, so that was that was another step, because like, I guess when you say, oh, I like listening to noise, I like things with textures, to me that doesn't say sort of that mm-hmm. things that come back in and out. Well, mm-hmm. I think I get where Jay's coming from. Uh, totally. So, as somebody who I like jazz quite a bit, and I'm less a fan of the blues, and even though jazz is born in the blues... One thing I th- I've talked to many blues fans, what they like is blues predictability. It's the idea that you know when it's come back to when it's coming back to one, um, you know. And so, sure, we're going to have a solo, and but we know when we're going to come back to one. We know, you know, song to song in a lot of ways what the structure is, and some people like that and find it reassuring. And and I, I after a while, I find it boring. And with jazz, it doesn't mean you don't ever have repeating motifs. It doesn't mean you don't have riffs. It doesn't mean that it's all out all the time, um, but it, often it's less predictable. It's not always the same number of bars. It's you know, and and, and actually some of the metal I like the most has some of those qualities. Something which uh, we will talk about later. Jay didn't like that I sent. Right. There's and a I band think that, that, that does that a yeah. lot, but it's really in a way as crushing as the band is. It's it's really subtle, and you you, you the way that they vary up. Uh, the repetition and their tempo and things without it being obvious. Yeah, I do think that was the thing in metal that made it difficult was that, or not difficult, but required a little bit of extra thought because I think a lot of metal is that like, let's go off into a wacky solo that's in three different times and like not ever return to this, <laughs> you know, not ever return to the the like the beat or whatever. So I do think that was uh, something that we had to keep in mind a little bit. So, uh, well, why don't we uh, go with uh, a first recommendation, and this is one that I made, and this is a band called the Dillinger Escape Plan. They've been around for about 15 years almost now. They're from New Jersey and uh, often have been called math metal because they use fairly complex uh, time signatures. They don't always start on the one, and they have a, a quality a lot like some avant-garde musics, except they, they definitely make sure it still fits in in a metal context. Um, and and they, they, they lean towards three, even four-minute songs as opposed to 12 or 15-minute songs. But here's one off of their most recent album called One of Us is the Killer. Uh, here's a little bit from something called When I Lost My Bet. Or not. Let's try it again. <laughs>
So, Jay, tell us what you thought of Dillinger Escape Plan. Well, I really like the drums, actually. Um, I really like the the tone of them. They don't they don't have the same sort of like hard metallic sort of jackhammer sound. It sounds a lot more uh, human, honestly. Yeah. Um, he swings. I mean, yeah. literally, he's it's yeah. not it's not metronomic. It's it's a lot more like he's a lot more like a jazz drummer. I mean, for mm-hmm. all intents and purposes. Um, the vocal style, you know, again, this gets back to how we were, we were talking about earlier. He's definitely he's yelling. Um, when I think of Godflesh too, Justin Broderick is yelling, but he's it's not this like s- you know borderline screech sort of yelling. It's more of a grunt yelling. And so with this one, like I'm, I'm feeling that sort of like it feels like it's bordering on affectation, affectations. Um, it's not quite. I can tell. Um, I feel like the, the the vocals are the only thing that kind of detracts from this. I like that it's angular. I like that it's uh, the instrumentation is distinct. You know, you can hear the bass, you can hear the guitar. It's not this big, uh, fuzzed out high sustain everything's a big wall of sound it's mm-hmm. distinct instruments taking sharp turns um, it gives it some life and some body that I like I enjoy a lot do I you not you like should, a wall uh, of sound it has to be the right wall of sound <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah because I was like wait <laughs> that doesn't make any sense well I think there's the wall of sound where things become utterly indistinct as opposed to wall of sound which is more like a, a, it's, a, it's a drone right right um, you know, you're building up a spectrum of instruments that are discernible, but collectively as a whole, you have the wall of sound. Yeah, I think I think sometimes you get this guitar where it's just the overdrive and the distortion is so much that it's everything just becomes this one big mm-hmm. tonal space that's indecipherable. Yeah, I think a lot of metal bands make that mistake. I was going to say that you should check out more of uh, Dillinger Escape Plan because that vocalist actually uses a range of styles. Um, He's in a lot of ways he is like Mike Patton, formerly a Faith No More, and, mm-hmm. and and Mr. Bungle. He croons, he screams, he growls. He doesn't rap. Um, and in fact, Mike Patton cut an EP with Mr. Bungle with I'm um, sorry, Dillinger Escape Plan back in the late '90s uh, when they were in between vocalists. So <laughs> um, it showed you that kind of very almost formal connection in that case. Um, that out that particular song he doesn't really sing, but it, I that it was a good instrumentally speaking a good example of of what they do. Um, so um, you you should check out more. Uh, Want to set up our next uh, band here? Uh, is it Ko Dot? Is that the right? Ko Dot. Yes, yeah. um, they're American. They came out of a prog metal band called Maudlin of the Well, which is a bit. slower (laughs) Um, I think the things that really made hallmarks for me I like that we both went in totally different ways for this Um, I think it's funny I went like far more extreme like experimental bands and 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 uh, um, Paul kind of tried to appeal to other another sense but um, they have a changing lineup which includes changing instruments so they've had synth guitar trumpet um, woodwinds, um, and basically just whoever's up for it, they'll <laughs> they'll make an album. They're on John Zorn's, or they were on John Zorn's label, and so that for to me was also, and they cite him as like their biggest influence, even though they're very much a metal band. So that to me was very much seemed in line with things you'd like. Um, also, um, they are on they were on Hydrahead as well, which I think in general, if you want to continue in this journey, Hydrahead is like an L, is is a metal label that really has a lot of experimental metal. So again, this to me was a good sign. Um, I th- basically every album is very different because they have a different lineup and different uh, different instruments. So um, I think we have. Something called vision adjustment to another wavelength. Also, lengthy lengthy titles to me. <laughs> it's good. If if it had lengthy titles and fifteen minute songs, I was like, Jay's gonna like this. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
So what do you think of KO Dot? It's got this plod to it, man. It's like, you just... It gets you that half nod thing again, right? That half, <laughs> half headbang. Um, I like that it's within these sort of small windows. It's got this variation, this boom, boom, boom. It, there's something going on um, within the overall spectrum of this sort of plodding along and plodding through it. You've got tonal diversity. You've got some like sonic changes going on that carries you. Um, yeah, it's just it's got a really good rhythm. I like it. I, I like to think of it as uh, Henry Rollins sings for uh, like Frank Zappa's band. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's it's actually it, it would be more Captain Beefheart than uh, Frank Zappa. Yeah, that's true. You're right. You're right. Because uh, Zappa always he's always Zappa swings. Zappa has you know a four four, and Beefheart is always like uh, he's walking around with one short leg, and everyone has to follow that beat. <laughs> It's just it's lumbers and it and it, it speeds up and it slows down and I liked it too. I never heard of it before and I, I I really enjoyed this 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 track. All right, so we'll move on to uh, a, a sort of newfangled doom band and this is a band that uh, they uh, they follow much more in the tradition set by Black Sabbath and uh, some doom bands that then came up in the eighties. One of the things that makes it stand out is that they sing, um, which I think is um, a little unusual these days. Instead of just shouting and screaming and yelling and growling, um, that is, uh, I think, uh, something which is coming back in metal is a more of a uh, varied approach to vocals, um, which some people like or don't like. But um, I got turned on to them uh, because I actually saw them open up for Boris. Uh, in Chicago, but uh, and I thought it was an interesting combination. So we'll listen to uh, something off of their most recent record called uh, Sorrow and Extinction. This is called An Offering of Grief. First, we have the long intro. We don't even get to the vocals yet. Right. <laughs> what did you think of this, Jay? Uh, again, it's got that plod that I like, right? This kind of slow throbbing to it. Um, I do like that they're actually making an effort to have a melody. Um, you know, contrary to popular belief, I do actually kind of like melodies sometimes. Um, the tone is great. It's uh, yeah, I like the again the plod to it. Uh, it's a little bit of that fuzzed out, long sustained, but not to the point that actually it's, it's destroying everything else around it. Um, it's just a nice slow. I feel better about like sitting down and listening to this than feeling like I need to like thrash around or something. <laughs> it's definitely uh, you know for drinking yourself to sleep kind of music. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Jenny? Um, you know, it's not my bag, but I like it. It's not, it's, it's not, I like, it wouldn't, I wouldn't turn it off if it were on in my house. I think a lot of the things that we looked at, um, for this, I was like, oh, I hate this. Jay will love this. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, but I, I think a lot of the ones that we ended up settling on, I actually pretty much like, like I like the KO dot. I I would listen to that. It wouldn't be my first choice, but I would listen to all of these suggestions. My wife, Ellen, uh, liked Paul Bearer, much much to my surprise, uh, she liked seeing them open up for for Boris, and I think she probably liked it for a lot of the same reasons that uh, Jay does. She's not a metalhead by any stretch, but she likes punk. She likes some experimental music. She likes you know music with a lot of interest to it. That it's not uh, formulaic, and um, they put on a really good show. 
Um, it really came across. And unlike, again, a lot some Doom bands I've seen live, I think the sound can turn to mush, as Jay was sort of uh, putting forward. It's that wall of sound which, which stops being distinct, and all the distinctness that you hear there on the record comes across live. It was, it was pretty nice. Um, so, Jenny, uh, next up, I think we have Locrian. Yeah, Locrian. So this is probably the one that's going to get the most. That's not metal. Um, they consider themselves metal. Paul has even been a little bit skeptical. I think they're very different album to album, so that's also part of this. Um, they're local Chicago band, so that also I was very pro, and I'm sure you would be pro, Jay. Um, mm-hmm. they're contempor- one of them's a contemporary artist. They teach at uh, Columbia College here. Um, they recorded a soundtrack to... Um, a Genesis Porridge uh, film, so I was like, all right, we're on the right track here. <laughs> um, they have, um, again, a variety of instruments is something I looked for for a lot of these, um, in addition to the regular rock instruments. They have um, synthesizers and some woodwinds and tapes. They use tapes, so that was cool. Um I just really like them. They're very atmospheric, um, so that's why I suggested them. Their main influences, they said, are death metal and krautrock, so that was a combination I was interested in. <laughs> and I think the song that we picked for this one was uh, uh, Visitation from the Wrath of Heaven. All right, here's an excerpt from that. So, uh, what do you think, Jay? Yeah, it's it's really hard to call this metal to me. Um, it it sounds so similar to a lot of dark ambient mm-hmm. and kind of noise collage music. Um, it's got the same feel. Right? I got those. I got the electronics in there. The stuff that doesn't necessarily sound like you know straight up pure electronic music. Uh, it's textural. It's slow. It's it builds up in waves, um, but you definitely hear that that guitar in there, right? It's playing the guitar. It's this slow throbbing grind on the guitar. Yeah, it's a real metal guitar. That's that's yeah. I think the most metal part of that band. Um, so it almost feels like sort of this perfect symbiosis of the two. Hmm. So this, in a way, this uh, this is a very familiar feeling music. Uh, this is stuff I've been listening to for, you know, effectively stuff I've been listening to for the last twenty years. So yeah. it doesn't it it doesn't push your push your boundaries, but uh, you can now say it's it's something that that you're totally comfortable with in metal. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> well, metal. I mean, that's the thing is that the, the uh, metal has so splintered in the last twenty years, in particular, that. It brushes up against ambient on one side. It brushes up against jazz on one side. Um, you've had some fortunate and unfortunate, uh, you know, hip hop crossovers. You've had, <laughs> you know, there's been, you know, it, metal has been the site of a lot of experimentation. And despite how orthodox some practitioners and some fans are, um, it's been pretty embracing of of experimentation and and bringing in other genres and. I think much of that, the drone approach and even, you know, influences from things like metal machine music, uh, you know, infiltrate because eventually you're going to be in your basement, you know, with your guitar and you're going to get some feedback and you're going to hit this loud chord and just sit there and you're going to go, oh, wow. Okay. That's cooler than 16th notes. Well, and I think the thing that's funny is if you look at experimental metal in general, it does encompass, like it doesn't crossover, a lot of it crosses over with experimental music in general, but some of it 
the experimental, and we've talked about this a little bit already, that the Celtic Frost is not something I would try and give to someone who liked experimental music because it's weird operatic stuff. It's just like screwing with the metal paradigm. So I think like there's a lot of stuff in experimental metal that would not necessarily cross over with experimental music. And I think um, uh, that is a great example. And there was another one that I was thinking of that, Oh, well, faith no more is considered experimental metal sometimes Sometimes. because they did experiment right with, with like hip hop and stuff. But yeah, again, that's not something I would consider experimental or suggest to Jay. Right. It's, it's actually, you can talk about the idea of an experiment versus the more formalized experimental. Right. Exactly. Methodologies for music. Uh, you know, there there is music that is explicitly defined genre-wise as experimental. We're talking about modern composition for instruments and tape. You're talking about music concrete and just tape music generally. Things that are, you know, accepted by the academic music circles as being quote-unquote acad- or experimental music. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing anything experimental. They're working with the same the same the same paths trud trud uh, walked by people before them right yeah they're experimenting outside of the genre but not necessarily in a new thing a right. new yeah right. so that's the problem with all these names and labels is that eventually even a word like experimental or alternative for instance becomes codified as an actual category as opposed to being an adjective right um well, you know, so speak now going in the other direction, because I, I wanted to bring things that weren't just all drone and weren't just, you know, and nothing wrong with that. I like drone. That's why I resisted bringing in a band like Sun um, in, because they are explicitly, they're drone. You know, you dress up like monks and, you know, play their guitars loudly in, in long drones, and I like it. But I wanted to bring in some things where uh, bands that are, that are looking to some experimental techniques in composition like John Zorn's uh, who used to do it on index cards, you know, so that you could – and in each index card would be a, a phrase or a thought and they'd shift them up very quickly and, and you see people kind of putting maybe not explicitly John Zorn type compositional ideas into metal but clearly influenced. You, you can't get from A to B without crossing through Z on that one. Um, and that's why I picked this this band uh, which is – who are French and I believe they broke up recently and they're called Horker. This album from about four or five years ago called Concrete, and uh, this is called uh, Bone Injection. Yeah, I really like this one. I like this one a lot um, because it it has these elements that are very clearly metal, right? You hear that voice, you hear those drums, you hear the the guitar going, but the the way the meter changes up, the way the playback changes, it feels like it feels like somebody who is well versed in, in metal went to graduate school for music composition for <laughs> electronic music composition and. They started taking recordings of metal, and they, they, they sped it up, slowed it down, chopped it up in ways, and played it back. I actually feel like, in a way, this has... This reminds me, in a way, of ministry. Uh, the way ministry would sample guitars and play them back with electronics in the studio to, to get this much sharper, harder, mm-hmm. faster, and, and tighter sound. Uh, this just takes that notion to a greater degree, a more extreme. Um, there are sounds in there. <laughs> wow, okay. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, go ahead. You were going to say there's sounds in there, what? Uh, well, there are sounds in there that, that, that I clearly identify as being like academic music sounds. There's this part where the 
the the guitar sound kind of stretches out, and you hear it kind of going. The bad part. The great part. <laughs> That's amazing. That's an amazing spot because it's 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 changing the paradigm, and I like that. They perform live. I mean, they I, I they, they perform this stuff live. That's great. I think that should have a disclaimer for anyone uh, wearing headphones before we played it. <laughs> well, and, and, and those sounds are created because they're using, uh, you know, digital delays and live sampling. And so in the same way that even ministry did by the time, you know, they were touring in like the early 90s, while they may have used samples in the, in the studio, they replicated much of that with live guitarists and samples on stage, right? right. And they, so they found people who could – play like that but you sort of had to first create it almost on the on a sequencer before they were before someone thought to try and do it with an actual live guitar and i think that Quarker is similar to that i also like the vocal manipulations which remind me a lot of what ogre would do in skinny puppy live but even yeah. on albums like too dark park a lot of you know you know as the vocals going on screwing with the uh with the, the with the pitch and the delay and even mm-hmm. even sampling it out to stretch it by time. Yeah, right. I think this was this was a great find. I think this is something that's that's definitely going into my my queue as soon as I find an album. And then we uh we move on to Earth. Earth, yeah. So um much unlike um, Paul just said is getting you away from sun. Um, <laughs> I was like very traditionalist in this sense. Um I went with Earth. Earth is like totally seen as um, sort of the Ur band in drone metal, um, kind of like people who invented it. Um, they were formed in 89. Uh, their, their guitarist is Dylan Carlson. They're from the Olympia scene. Dylan Carlson, you might know as the person who bought the gun for Kurt Cobain. Um, so just generally in punk rock sort of scenes for a really long time. Um, they have a lot of jazz in their music. Some of it is slow and drony, but they tried to feature lots of other kinds of music. Sort of, they have like country music in some of them. Um, in addition, the thing that you have always said you don't like, <laughs> they have a lot of that um, sort of uh, theatrical medieval type things in their music. So they have, you know, they're their songs they they have a lot of concepty albums that are that are called things like um angels of darkness demons of light <laughs> um but it doesn't really <laughs> infect their songs too much um i would say of the bands listed this is probably my favorite so um and i think we Again, they vary very differently from album to album, but um we we chose Tibetan Coeludes partially cuz that's such an amazing song title <laughs> What do you think, Jay? Um, I can see myself sitting in and, and kind of letting this stuff roll over me. Um, I like that it's slow. Um, I like that there aren't any drums going on right now. <laughs> um, this is actually it's different from some of the stuff that I, I had a chance to listen to before the before we started the podcast. Um, yeah, it's. I think their albums are real different. So if you want to talk about those too. Yeah, I, I got a chance to listen to the uh, Hibernaculum record, um, and it—I do like the drone, and it felt like it was drone without a lot of, without being over the top. Um, 
feel like some of the drone stuff is like, okay, well, we can do a song that's 30 minutes long. We can do a song that's 40 minutes long. And at some point, 40 minutes of that, I it loses its appeal pretty fast. Um, this has felt like it was... This is going to be ridiculous, but it sounds a little more earthy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and like more, more down to earth, more grounded. Um, just something that you can kind of like, you can, you can put your feet into and experience it. Yeah, I would say that these people are not experimental in terms of uh, instrumentation as much. And I think in a lot of ways, they're a lot more traditional. Um, they definitely cite. Black Sabbath has an influence, and I think you can really see that, especially in the track we chose. Um, and I'm not a big Black Sabbath fan, but I feel like this is the as close as we're going to get you to Black Sabbath, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> I saw them uh, this past fall at Music Fest Northwest, and um, it was a very unmetal show. And and I actually mean that as a compliment. <laughs> it was it, they're very. Uh, uh, you know they're they're very kind. They just kind of come out and play, and there's no bombast to it. And you know they're much more indie rock in that in that approach. And while there's a certain heaviness to it, it, it sound wise live they did not even quite come across as most metal does. And again, I mean that as a as a compliment because I felt there was some definition to the sound. I didn't feel like I had to have four earplugs in in order not to have my hearing destroyed. Um, and it was very, I would say, uh, contemplative in a lot of ways. Um, and there was movement. And, you know, they, they played some really, really lumbering, slow tracks. But it still felt like we were we were going somewhere with most of the performance. I quite well, enjoyed it. And I think, you know, they've been doing it for 25 years. So there's something to be said, <laughs> <laughs> you know, for obviously a band like that is going to have different phases in each of those albums. So um, they have a huge catalog that is very uh, good to produce to peruse and like some of it has trombone and some of it like I said is country and some of it um, is more you know theatrical metal so I mean I think there's something to be said for someone who's been doing it for a while (laughs) and uh, so we'll go to my last track here and this is a uh, Norwegian band uh, called Shining Um, and it's their album is called Black Jazz and it was actually uh I'm uh, sorry, yeah, Norwegian. And it was very well received at the time, both in the metal press and a lot of um, uh, mainstream music press as well. Um, tries to, as, as you could tell from the name, they try to integrate some elements from jazz and other musics. Um, and this is a track called uh, The Madness and the Damage Done. What do you think, Jay? I like the bombast. Uh, it's angular, and I like what they're doing with their guitars. Right? It's not just straightforward heavy metal guitars, you know, played in angular fashion. There's there's like some weird pitch shifting going on on top of that to make it a very unique tone. Um, and they're they're moving in strange directions. The drumming stops and starts, and it's uh, it's it's vibrant. It's I actually kind of want to dance to this, if that makes any sense, as as much as I would ever dance. You must um, be Norwegian. <laughs> uh, Scandinavian, yeah. It's in the blood. <laughs> yeah, apparently they were quite popular in Norway when they when this album came out. Um, they were on the uh, like Norwegian national radio a whole bunch, and one of the songs, well, the, the first single off this record in Norway was uh, nominated like the best song of 2009 by one of the, the national radio's uh, rock music critics. Hmm. Uh, yeah. 
They're Norwegian, man. <laughs> it's cold up there. And I'm sure, Jenny, this is uh, one of these things that, that is not your cup of tea, eh? If it had no vocals, it would be my cup of tea. Oh, so what don't you like the about vocals the vocals? Are, it's just nonsense. <laughs> it's just, I can't understand what anyone's saying. It's just growling. I mean, as, <laughs> as we've talked about a lot and maybe only a little bit on the, on the podcast, like, I feel like if I can't understand all the, most of the lyrics, like, it's just not going to be terribly interesting to me. Whereas like, I don't understand synthes- lyrics at all, period. Right, exactly. <laughs> but where the synthesizer part kicked in, I loved that. At first, I took, I'll admit that when this song started, I took my headphones off. But <laughs> the synthesizers kicked in, I was like, oh, this is quite nice. He stopped singing, and this is delightful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do feel like like it's vocals that if if there weren't other merits to the song, would have turned me off. Yeah. Um, you know, it is just all this sort of screeching cacophony singing um but the playing i think i feel like it it worked well with it and i feel like i don't necessarily need to know what he's trying to sing Uh, yeah i mean it's not just not understanding the lyrics i just think that vocal tonality totally just shuts me down like i feel like just i don't want the the grumbly yelling is just not my bag (laughs) <laughs> it's it's like Rush. I like the music, but uh, no, I don't like his singing. It's terrible. So, you know, that's fine. I mean, like I said earlier, I think like a lot of this music that is the issue for me is like, oh, this is really good, but then this guy screams over it. Not cool. <laughs> so we go to uh, your final choice. Uh, Which Jenny. is uh, Black Boned Angel. They're named for a Godflesh song. So that for me was, you know... They're a God Flesh inspired band. Um, they're from New Zealand. I don't actually know a ton about them, um, but they're definitely in the sun and earth. That's funny that sun and earth are like in the same style of music, and they're called sun and earth. Um, I actually, for what for the record, I looked them up on Wikipedia. Sun, uh-huh. and originally they were named Mars. Okay, that's even is, more. <laughs> right, but the, the idea is like the sun. The sun revolving around the Earth, or Earth revolving around the sun, right? Right. So they they made that name. They chose that name very specifically and sort oh, of homage to, to Earth. Yeah, I feel like um, I mean this is all a very incestual group of people. Um, <laughs> there are other there are other things I suggested for you that you either liked, and a lot of them you liked except for the vocals, like things like Conate and Burning Witch, and the people in those are sun are in sun. So um, you know, someone in sun is. In a, you know, like they're all in each other's bands, so um, you know it doesn't it it didn't surprise me that you might also like this a little bit. So um, the song that we chose was "The Witch Must Be Killed," which is the most <laughs> metal name ever. <laughs> Crickets. Start. It starts out kind of slow, kind of quiet. Minute seven. No. <laughs> verdict uh the verdict is i don't actually know how long i could listen to that (laughs) um i like the shape of it it's it feels like god flesh on mescaline which is like everything slows down um i think you said that if uh, we sped that up at double speed, that would be an awesome band or something to that yeah. effect. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like the guitar tone. You know, I, I like this uh, this sort of um, spacey, airy kind of hiss in the back of everything. Um, 
but honestly, I feel like I could probably find some some drone electronics bands that would do this better. More to your liking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never listened to it. I actually, I had a. They did a. I think they did an EP with the with the band Nadia. Yes, I they think did. I have and that. I suggested Nadia as well, and actually, I thought that was a band I thought that Jay would really like. But I think he was just sort of mad about them. Indeed. Do you have some closing recommendations that Jay should also listen to? Because I have a ton. <laughs> <laughs> Um, of course you did. Um, I, you know, off the uh, top of my head, not really. I mean, I, I threw out a few things uh, that, that Jay did not like, which includes Meshuggah, which definitely has the barky vocals, and it's all over the place. So if you don't like yeah. the vocals, it's pretty hard to avoid. Um, I know, Jay, you didn't like the their sort of approach, but I think if you gave the approach a little more time, you'd like it, but the vocals are hard. Either you like them or you don't. Um Another band is Nocmistium, which is from Chicago. They're a black metal band. But they bring in a lot of psychedelic elements, and uh, they're not run-of-the-mill, but their vocal approach is pretty much straight-ahead, screamy black metal. Well, and on that, that's funny that we both suggested uh, Nocmistium projects-type things. Um, I suggested Corrections House, Mm -hmm. which is kind of like a super group with a member of Nocmistium and uh, I Hate God and Yakuza and Neurosis. And yeah. Jay, Jay wasn't taking that. That's cool. And I had one suggestion I did not uh, put on the list uh, that occurred to me later. It's a band called Enslaved, and they're mm. also from Norway. Mm. And they're, um, the psychedelic elements, again, are very much up front, um, fairly melodic. And they're, they have – they use both a clean, straightforward singing style and some growling. But the growling is pretty minimal. <laughs> it's used more as a punctuation rather than as the whole sentence. Um, and their last couple of records, I think, are just amazing. Um, but you know, they really stretch the end and the end of metal on 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 that end. Yeah, I would say I, I suggested Corrections House um, also because they have a lot of like anti the system lyrics. And since again, I'm such a lyrics person, that was the only thing we got in that I was like, this the lyrics actually matter in this song. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also suggested KTL, which, again, is very fuzzily on that line. They consider themselves metal, but I think a lot of people would consider themselves noise, and I think you said that you would you would listen to more of them. Yeah, um, I, I felt like that's something that um, needed a little more exploration to kind of get a grasp on. Right. Um, um, in general, I also there's a band called Veer, which um, if you looked them up, that's V I R. But if you looked them up in English, you would find nothing. They're only known by their Cyrillic um, notation, um, and they're just. I think they're a band you would really like. Um, I think we have a clip from them though. Yeah, but I they're can, very. I can play a yeah, clip. Yeah, they're. Um, they they've done a lot of ministry covers. They're. Very, I mean, I think they're. They have, you know, 12 minute long songs. <laughs> they're, to the uh, best that I can read Cyrillic, I believe this is Veer. Yes, yeah, they're, they're very atmospheric. Um, so that I'll actually let that play while we talk about these other couple of bands because um, it's not going to speed up until <laughs> for a while. <laughs> um, uh, Pan's Ram Division, they're a Swedish band. I guess we ended up recommending you a lot of American bands, so um, these are it's a little bit harder to find these um, uh, bands from other countries, but they're um, uh, black metal, experimental, I think you would really like. And they, they have a lot of historical, sort of German historical songs. Um, <laughs> Klist? D- Paul, are you a Klist? Do you know Klist? No, I don't. They're American, but they're inspired by a lot of Russian stuff. Um, the guitarist is from Conate. Again, it's it's a little incestual. Um, but they have a lot of odd uh, percussion and um, electronic stuff. Um, so I would recommend them. In general, I think, like I said, um, metal like a lot of other genres that are very specific, especially this specific area of metal, is really label-defined. And so I think Hydrahead and Ipecac, and especially Southern Lord, uh, are labels that you will like. Okay. Yeah. 
Well, Jay already likes Ipecac because I. <laughs> right. I know. Right, that. but they're metal recordings. <laughs> <laughs> you, you would yeah, 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 yeah. And that makes sense, obviously. Cool. So yeah, this uh, <laughs> this beer is really <laughs> taking its time, man. <laughs> so, so Jay, do you, do you feel made over? Do you do you feel like a, a new metalhead? <laughs> I don't know about a new metalhead, but I feel like I have a uh, a basket of bands to look through to <laughs> to move forward with. So, do you, do you think you will do the full head uh, uh, headbang? Probably not. <laughs> a little, uh, I'm a little reserved. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, wrap up with a few things we like here. Uh, Jenny, do you want to lead? Do you have something? I do. Uh, I have Nick Sticks. Um, which is at nicksticks.com. They're um, a beef snack stick, which I enjoy. I don't, as um, as Paul knows and forgets frequently, I don't eat ground beef. So uh, that really leaves out the jerky type things for me or Slim Jim type things. But Nick Sticks is um, a farm in Iowa and they make all these different kinds of beef sticks that you can order on the internet. And they're pretty much the same price as the ones in a 7-Eleven on your road trip and they're like grass-fed beef and they have turkey ones and they have all this different kind of spicy ones um, and I like beef sticks so that's a weird recommendation but that's my recommendation uh, my recommendation is LED lights <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> <laughs> how's that <laughs> are you going to turn them on and on on and off while listening to the music of indeed this, this, uh... Uh, no, I, you know I uh, do video work and photo work and um you know, video lights are hot. Incandescent lights are hot and difficult to control. And I've I've got a couple LED lights, one of which I got at mono price for next to nothing. Um, and I'm really liking them to do little short projects, either both for video or for photo in terms of they're not as obnoxious. They can run on batteries for a long time. They're efficient. And they also don't heat up a room really badly, which is one of the problems you run into. So if you're doing little photo projects or little video projects, and here's my recommendation to anyone who might want to be doing like uh, desktop recording, you know, with your with your web camera, the, the, what peop- the mistake everyone runs into is they always have the lights behind them. So they're just a shadow and they're just a, uh, uh, a silhouette. Get a cheap. Uh, 15 $20 uh, LED video light from, from Monoprice and stick it on the other side of your monitor looking at you and they usually have a little control you can dial it down as much as you like and you will look so much better and uh, and and for almost no money and way better than you would with, with just about any other approach and I'm just going to interject and say when I was in Istanbul I stayed in this weird hotel that is not in a tourist area and it was the LED light district and let me tell you that whoever is keeping the LED lights out of America like they are so much more advanced in other countries <laughs> and we have this like light lobby that you know the Edison lobby or whatever that's really keeping us from these awesome LED lights so I don't know why we're so behind in LED lights and I'm sad about it <laughs> you know there's a store uh, over here uh close by my house in portland that's that sell that specializes in old timey <laughs> edison lights of course of course there is because <laughs> we I are was really hoping you were going to say they specialize in old timey led lights <laughs> yeah i also do <laughs> they're only they're only red <laughs> you have to is push it a- <laughs> <laughs> like they they special do they have like a lot of nixie stuff i don't know what that is oh it's a special kind of bulb yeah Okay. Yeah, like if, when you go now, because it's become a thing now, and a lot of like bars and restaurants will see these old timey bulbs that glow really, uh, really dimly. They have a lot of those where you can, where the filament is very visible. Yes. Yeah. yeah. A lot of those. Yeah. I think they have LEDs too, but anyway. Jay, oh. do you have a recommendation? Uh, I do. Uh, Flemish Carbonade. Uh, it's, a, it's a Flemish beef stew. Real straightforward. Uh, minced onion base. Saute that. Put in the crock pot with. Uh, some brown beef cubes and a little bit of minced uh, bacon and then you douse it with about half a bottle of like a, a Belgian brown I've been drinking it I've been making it with um, Goose Island's Perijac which is super cheap in this neighborhood I can get a bottle for nine bucks um, but the song's a, finally kicking in yeah <laughs> it's a it's a slow cooker beef stew and then when you serve it you serve it over uh, like roast potatoes or mashed potatoes, and you stir in a little bit of uh, currant jelly and brown mustard, and it's fantastic. Or some godflesh in, godflesh in aspic. It's also really good on top. 
Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you, Jay, for being our guinea pig for our first ever metal makeover. Hey, thank you guys for having me. And uh, Jenny, you want to tell people how they can uh, how they can speak back and let us know what they thought. So many ways. You can, uh, first of all, review us on iTunes, which would make us really happy. You can say anything in your review, just as long as you do it. Um, you can uh, email, or you can come to our website at selloutpodcast.com. You can uh, tweet us at jpsellout. You can send us email at either jpsellout at gmail.com or selloutpodcast at gmail.com. You can, I don't know, what else can you do? Facebook. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us in wherever you download podcasts. And, yeah, you can Facebook us at, uh, at Sellout Podcast. Yeah, if you can't so find us, you're not looking. Just, yeah, yeah, we're pretty easy to find. <laughs> so Very well. And if you would like a metal makeover, please let us know. That's right. Send us an email uh, or tweet us or uh, Google Plus me, I guess. That's where all this Google Hangout nonsense happens these days. Yeah, no one uses that. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Jenny. (laughs) Thank you, Paul.